Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of All Caps and Bagpipes. I'm the Glasgow Comets, John McKellar. I'm former league president, Jason Deere. Former league president and baseball Scotland Hall of Famer, Jason Deere. <laughs> okay, well, fine, fine, fine. fine. Man. How are we, you doing? We've been having a nice chat with Luke already. There's no need to go into titles and whatnot, but I'm just former <laughs> league president right now. Let's stick with that. Yeah, like you alluded to there, we're joined by a very, very special guest tonight. Um, Glasgow Galaxy legend, I think, uh, is a title that you could probably quite easily um, be uh, described with. Uh, Luke Powell, you're on the show. Um, it's kind of bittersweet, um, I'm sure, for yourself uh, that you're coming on now of all times, uh, and certainly for myself as well. It's bittersweet to get you on ahead of uh, what feels like an amazing kind of uplifting time with the 2021 season actually coming and we know what's going to happen um but you will be um you won't be around in the dark blue uh this coming season so um it means a lot to me that you've come on to kind of say farewell in a way and to talk to us about your time playing in glasgow um and uh, let's uh, introduce you first off um you are of course luke powell pitcher for the glasgow galaxy welcome to the show thanks very much john i appreciate the invite you know i've been listening to the podcast here and there over the years and I appreciate that you're doing this and it's nice to come on and contribute a little bit. Amazing man. So uh, let's go straight into the interview portion here um, and let's start with where we usually do Luke. Let's start with uh, how you started in baseball. Um, obviously as I say often when there's a non-Scot on I always say the same line and I've noticed that Jason. Um, you know native Scots will realize by accent that you're not from here originally. Uh, why don't you talk to us about where you come from um, and how you ended up in Scotland first off before we get into the game? Sure, um, so I'm a native New Yorker and um, like my father before me and grandparents before, the, before that, um, they were born in Queens in Brooklyn. My, my father's from Queens and I'm from Nassau County just in next county over from New York City. Uh, but my mother's Basque, so I uh, fortunately have a dual citizenship, which, which enabled my trip across the pond, but little did I know that Brexit was gonna happen and I suddenly wouldn't be a citizen all of a sudden. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, when I was a kid, um, uh, growing up, pretty much everybody played Little League, you know, from the, the jockiest, biggest kid to the, the nerdiest little a guy who was the least coordinated and you know I was no exception to that and I think they got us started when we were I must have been what five years old and they stick you in t-ball and you're hitting a ball off a off a tee and if you miss that you, it's a proper embarrassment <laughs> so you get from that and then the next league uh the uh the next year up your coaches are pitching to you um, so that's, that's, that's pretty good unless you get one of the coaches that's a little bit more uh, enthusiastic or competitive. We, <laughs> we had this guy um, named Lester Stanko and he had this really strong New York Italian accent that was uh, incredibly powerful and everything that he said was, was exactly uh, cliche like uh, sort of godfathery whatever. Um, and so and you used to call me Luca the Duca. <laughs> and he, he like, so all the, all the coaches would pitch normal, you know, slow kind of underhand or overhand, except for Lester Stanko, who is the most competitive guy ever. And, uh, and he was throwing heat, you know, up and in to, to all the like six-year-olds. <laughs> I remember distinctly, he once said uh, there was a, one of the coaches was, uh, I believe it was English and one of the other teams and they, it got heated and, and uh, they, they got in each other's face and, he, and all of a sudden he just, it stops and it goes, the record scratches, goes quiet. And he goes, I'll kick your ass, you limey bastard. <laughs> it was like, oh. and just everybody's like, holy shit. And that was, must've been 30 years ago. And I'll never forget that line. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so um, obviously you, you primarily in Scotland have pitched, uh, did you always, were you always a pitcher or did you kind of transition into that from a different position growing up? Uh, well, uh, I, I always pitched um, all the way kind of through, but I was never really a, a standout pitcher. I was always kind of a, more on the crafty side, you know, and sort of like a number two or three guy. Um, second base is my natural position and I played probably the most second growing up. Um, and, uh, actually that was a kind of tricky transition cause that's where I feel the most comfortable, but, uh, in mm -hmm. our league, um, what is, uh, 
our coach John Tafe likes to say, you're you're wasted at second base, which I don't agree with, <laughs> because I think second base is a really underrated position. But uh, but he's like he's like, do you pitch? Yeah, I pitch. He's like, all right, you're pitching, and <laughs> that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> I think it's the second question everyone gets is like, where you're from? You're American. Do you pitch? Yeah, all right, great. Exactly. I think that's how it pretty much works for every expat that comes over this way. <laughs> exactly. So okay, really, so really soon after joining, it was very clear that I was going to have to be eating as many innings as humanly possible. Um, so, so it went. So um, before we go any further, look, uh, Graham Nelson has to know, um, never mind all this, Mets or Yankees. Now, I don't think that Graham is going to like the answer to this question, Jason. Oh, well, that's the no brainer. I mean, uh, my father grew up in Queens and my mother grew up, my grandmother grew up in Brooklyn and she used to hear the Brooklyn Dodgers from where her flat was. So she used to tell me in, in Bushwick. So as, as a um, three generations now of disliking the Yankees. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she could, she could hear the Dodgers. So if you're a Dodgers fan, you hate the Yankees, yeah. right? My, my, my dad grew up in Queens and he, I, I, unfortunately, since I'm moving out of the flat, I, the walls are bare now, but I, I just had a uh, 1963 Mets yearbook from my dad with his like seven-year-old scribble on it. Oh, man. And, uh, and so I grew up a Mets fan as well, uh, which is hey, uh, kind I'm of a blessing. And a curse. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair answer, and I get it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so talk to me about the Mets then, Luke, briefly, uh, since we're still on the kind of early years. Uh, did you visit Shea Stadium much when you were a youngster? Um, did you... No, do you have any particular memories growing up watching Mets? Any favorite games that stand out? That's a wow, you ask all the right questions, John. <laughs> um, well, uh, so yes, uh, so I, I lived um, on the in the North Shore of Nassau County, and we could take the same train line that we used to go into Shea Stadium. So my friends and I would basically get one of our older brothers to buy us beer, fill our backpacks with beer. And then, and then go into Shea Stadium and go all the way to the upper deck and then pour the beers into soda cups and drink as many as we could get away with. Um, and then take the train back from the games. Uh, so that's, and that's, those are pre 9-11 days where before they used to make you go, before they made you go through the metal detectors. So, uh, and before they, you know, but anyway, uh, so I think, uh, I wanna say this was 1999. And uh, I, I used to uh, uh, be friends, some of my, my friends from high school, one girl in particular was really well to do growing up. And so her father owned a company and they had one of the luxury boxes. So it was a, it was a playoff game they were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, we got into the luxury box for this, for this which I've never been before or after. <laughs> and, uh, and, it's, this is, I think, the last game of the series and maybe the division round. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, so we're in the box and there, it's, it's back and forth, neck and neck, really, really great game. And I'm super into it and oblivious to the fact that I'm even in the luxury box. Um, and, and then a friend of mine comes out uh, up to luxury box because he wasn't really a baseball fan and had great tickets from his dad. Like really, and he's like, why don't you take my ticket? If you're really into it, you can go down to the field level. I said, wow, cool. So I just, I, uh, myself and another friend, we, we keep, uh, we, we get our tickets, are walking down the aisles and, and I'm just, I keep checking and keep walking forward. Like, is this real? Is this real? And, and continue walking forward. And, uh, and then I pass uh, Jerry Seinfeld and John Lovitz, you know, the, the, the comedians who are like Seinfeld is like a lifelong yeah. Mets fan and he's got a lot of bits about it with Keith Hernandez and stuff. So I pass him. That's how far up these seats were. They were like, you know, basically on the field. And uh, me and my friend Spiros Kredis, uh are sitting like second row and Todd Pratt, the backup catcher is pinch hitting and hits a home run that goes over the fence by like this much uh, the center fielder, we think he catches it, but he doesn't. And then he, after like 10 seconds of, of delay, opens his glove, he doesn't have it. And the, just everybody goes crazy, you know, standing up on the seats and yelling and beer getting poured everywhere. And of course, Seinfeld going nuts too. So that's probably my best memory. That's a pretty amazing memory. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, man. Did you get to a lot of games then growing up? 
Uh, I tried to get as, to as many games as I could. Um, we, uh, we, we could always go and get really uh, cheap tickets because you could, I could take the train in and then you could, uh, I set it up so I would walk the opposite direction from the, the pedestrians coming off of the trains. And then you could do this thing where you'd hold up two fingers, which meant you need two tickets. Right. And so there was always like a couple Wall Street guys that had, um, you know, extra corporate tickets that they were just, you know, they just had and their friends didn't show up or whatever. So we would just get a couple extras. And I, I don't know how many times I did that uh, more, more than I can more than I can recall. <laughs> but that was always nice because you could do that because or if you didn't mind missing the first inning. We were like, yeah, screw it. Have my tickets because I'm not going to be able to catch it. And, you know, my buddy didn't show up. Um, exactly. You know, we did that down in Seattle as well too. It was like if you didn't mind catching the first inning, so we we just go to the bar <laughs> and have a beer, sit down. All right, let's go get tickets because somebody's just like, I gotta get rid of my tickets somehow. That's it. Uh, second inning, threatening rain. That's the the buyer's market for for used tickets. <laughs> I, I uh, more times than not, I, I did that. Uh, so I went to school in in Boston to university. And my, Pedro, my favorite pitcher of all time is Pedro Martinez by far um, because I, I followed him in Boston in all those years. And then, and then he signed with the Mets just after that and was still pretty good at the time, at least for another year or two. And so we would do that with Fenway Park as well. We'd go and just basically walk around in the second inning when it was threatening rain and get tickets for you know five bucks or they just give it to us and just wonderful experience. And then you get to see Pedro pitch and... And that's what yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, and that was before they did all the renovations on Fenway. I'm assuming before they started making the Green Monster tickets a thing and all that. Yep, exactly. Oh, no, yeah. no seats up there. Yeah, 2003 the seats opened, I believe. I might be wrong on that, but I think it was 2003 because it was after I started watching baseball. I still don't think they should have fans up there, but oh well. Like I said, it's not my stadium, so I can't say yeah, much about it. <laughs> Green Monster is one of those kind of, it should be like a protected landmark almost. You know, it's existed for literally like 100 years plus. So I think to add seats to it was kind of just one of those, it was just a, a decision that was made by corporate people who had absolutely no care so, whatsoever in the world no for so. the actual history. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a baseball institution, Fenway Park. Um, and, you know, you're just bastardizing it by making any adjustments to it at this point. Just let it fall down naturally. And then once the, when the when the park actually tells us, you know, I've had enough, then, you, then they can sort of change it or build a new one. But for the time being, I don't think it's right to mess around with that. Or or right, the same like Wrigley Field, you know, you don't want to add or change anything at Wrigley Field either because they're just artifacts, the baseball artifacts, and enough of the, and I, I think enough of the historical artifacts of baseball have either been changed beyond recognition or removed entirely. Uh, they need to start to ease off a bit and leave things alone. But anyway, so we've covered the Little League. Uh, Luke, let's talk about playing ball growing up further. Um, did you play high school ball, college ball? Um, so I played uh, all through high school. And uh, we were like a small uh, public school, uh, but really competitive, not particularly good at any sport, but we were good at baseball. So we we're really well coached, played really good defense um, and hardly hit at all, but it didn't matter because we pitched really well and, uh, and played really good defense. We had a bunch of little dudes. Uh, it was mostly uh, Italian neighborhood that I grew up in, or at least uh, socially dominated by Italians, if you will, um, and um, and most of them play baseball, um, so uh, so that don't tend to be the, the biggest guys out there typically, and and I was uh, also not terribly big. Um, and then uh, let's see, so I I, uh, I tried out for my university team, which is Tufts University. Uh, it was a it's a D three school and not particularly known for baseball, so I figured uh, that I would uh, I would walk on, but uh, but and I I played in fall ball. I think I pitched seven innings and gave up no runs in fall ball, and then I got cut to my surprise. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in retrospect, uh, it made sense. Uh, I mean, I'm like five foot nine and and trying out as a pitcher, and they had recruited a 
ton of really talented guys. They ended up having a bunch of all Americans and, uh, and made the NCAA tournament had like their home run leader. They, they had basically their best four years of the program while I was there. So, uh, and I think, uh, you know, in retrospect, uh, my, I sort of like, uh, found my profession during that time, which clearly was not baseball. Uh, so uh, it worked out, I think, in the long run. <laughs> yeah, look at this way. If you weren't, you know, playing baseball, I meant you actually could go and watch baseball, being that you were in Boston. So, you know, it, it, it's a win-win for you. <laughs> Yeah, it, that was a great time to, to be watching the Red Sox. I mean, they were super, super exciting, uh, playing incredibly, uh, um, like, just just fierce games against the Yankees during that time. That rivalry was 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 just, it's so intense. Um, and I think that I, I finished in 2004 uh, or three or four, and then I moved back to Massachusetts for a job. And they won the World Series while I was was in Massachusetts, and and uh, and I like uh, hung out on Lancaster Street like during the game when they won and stuff. It was awesome, it was so cool. They're sort of like my a adopted AL team, and I, I, it's allowed. You're allowed to have an AL AL team. It's one of those things. There, I'm a Mariner and Padre fan, so both teams go. suck. It doesn't. Sometimes it works out for us. <laughs> well, the pods are looking pretty good right now. Yeah, but I mean, and new owner, a lot of money thrown at problems, you know. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how your owner does as well, too. I thought the, the most interesting thing about having this new owner is uh, they told them, don't spend so much money because you're the richest owner out of all of us. <laughs> That's That was their advice, huh? <laughs> yeah, they, they were worried that if they had him in because he has so much money that he would shift the balance up to every other team. They'd have to compete with him because he has, I can't remember how much billions he was worth, but you know, it's enough to, uh, to make him the richest owner in baseball. So. It's 14 billion, but who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> 14 billion, yeah. He only spent a seventh of his worth on the team, you know? That's all. So this guy kind of touches my heart. His name is Steve Cohen. And uh, so he grew up in Great Neck, basically a couple towns over from me, taking the train to the games. And, and he, like, uh, he gave kind of a, he had like a sort of Zoom press conference when he bought the team and he just like opened it up with more or less what I told you guys like hey I grow up you know going to the game and packing beers in my backpack and taking the train and I was like oh my god this guy's this this one of us <laughs> this is perfect except you're worth 14 billion dollars and you can buy all the best players <laughs> exactly but I mean I think that's what they need they need I, I miss baseball owners that were fans it's become too corporate now and it's just like okay yeah well we're gonna raise the prices for parking there. And this guy's like, no, I'm a fan. Like, I, I have the the uh, what is it? It's the uh, Bill Buckner ball. And he's like, oh yeah, it's just right here. I got that. Yeah, here yeah. you go. Yeah, that <laughs> was cool. I'm a fan. <laughs> that impressed yeah. me. <laughs> look, uh, while we're on the subject of Steve Cohen and the new look Mets, uh, obviously you guys made quite a few very high profile acquisitions this uh, past off season. Uh, there were some pretty high profile misses though. Do you have? For your, from your perspective, a white whale uh, among those free agents that the Mets didn't sign? Well, you do ask the good questions, John. Good one. Um, well, so uh, perhaps you might be referring to Trevor Bauer, who I, I think I, I, I don't particularly like, and, and I like that they didn't sign him. Right. Um, he's like a, I, I personally <sighs> like, I, I like, being entertained by baseball. I like, uh, I, I don't, maybe this is a recent realization, but like the MLB is the entertainment business, you know, like we're paying to be entertained. And uh, Trevor Bauer is, is I, I guess he is entertaining, but for all the wrong reasons for me, I like to watch players like Jose Reyes that are smiling all the time and joking around and having a good time and remind me of when I was, you know, 15 years old on a Sunday afternoon in the heat of the summer, you know, just messing around and, and ribbing my friends, you know, yeah. and, uh, and I definitely don't get that from Trevor Bauer, who's making more than a million dollars per start. And, you know, what is it uh, he's making? Is it, it he's million. making 10 grand per pitch. We figured out in the car ride to the, to <laughs> Tolkaras Park this weekend, 10 grand per pitch. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Bauer is is not somebody that I would have signed. Uh, I, I would have liked to have a real center fielder 
but uh, I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. was the answer either because the Mets have Brandon Nimmo and he's fantastic. I mean, he just gets on base every single time and uh, either he does that or he hits a home run or strikes out and that's okay with me. So it kind of didn't fit with it with the without the DH in place, which probably will be in place next year. Without the DH, there wasn't a spot for 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 a, a center fielder with the, the current lineup. So you you wouldn't say it looks so well. Trevor Bowers a douchebag. <laughs> He's entertaining yeah. though. Like I said, baseball <laughs> needs to heal. He's an absolute douchebag. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a douchebag. <laughs> and he certainly, in my opinion, is not worth forty million dollars for eleven starts last season. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's a douche. There's no question about it. He he really is. Deport <laughs> Baseball Club has said, look, you mean you don't make 10 grand per pitch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he certainly pitches like it. Um, but no, uh, unfortunately, I don't think anyone in the league makes any of that. Um, I mean, we've got an ex-president of the league here. Maybe we should take it out with him. <laughs> uh, Graham Nelson comments, I hear he has sticky balls. Um, <laughs> What Trevor Bauer decides to do with his agent is his and her business. Thank you very much. Um, Stephen Evans says, I do like the behind-the-scenes stuff from Bauer on his YouTube channel. Fun to see some of the stuff they do, but from a player's perspective. It's a different view. Interesting. So, somebody's seeing his YouTube videos. I might have a video editor, and they're showing more of it now. It's entertaining there. I, I think it's, you know, I think he's one of those people that has a personality that they care less about, but it's cool to get that scene of what's going on back there. Normally don't get it. Yeah, uh, I, I think when he was doing all this stuff with driveline, I think it was interesting from a pitcher's perspective to see what he was doing to improve himself. Uh, and that, that was really cool. I don't know. I like I like the kind of the starting pitchers who, like the Bob Gibsons, who are completely inaccessible as human beings that just stare down at people from the mound and terrify them into like a petrified state and throw up and in. And, and but, but this is what we're talking about. Uh, we're, we're old school guys. Yeah. There's no more old school guys here. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. Every, everyone's friends still, now. You don't throw anyone's head yeah. anymore. You know, everyone's friendly. There are still some who are kind of a bit frightening up there. Nowhere near to the extent that they used to be, even when I was youngster. Um, so, yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. He is entertaining to some degree I just think that overall he's entertaining like Luke I think hit the nail on the head he's entertaining for all the wrong reasons um, you know he's, he's headline news but maybe not. all right <laughs> we'll move on from this so, let's move on uh, let's uh, so, so, so who is your current your favorite men of all time and who is your current favorite man that plays out there now because you always have a bit of both I mean Pedro Martinez uh hands down. He was my favorite Met before he was a Met. You know, the, the dude, I mean, for me, I was always a little guy who was pitching and uh, that was just a, an inspiration. You know, he just making all the biggest roided up dudes look awful, you know, making them look like fools and, and, and doing so like with style and having fun doing it. You know, I, that was just, just incredible. Those seasons that he had, um, in, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s are among the best of all time. And if you Google Pedro Martinez fingers or Pedro Martinez hand, it's like his, his, his index finger and, and middle finger just bend at this ridiculous angle. And like in retrospect, that must have something to do with spin rates that he's able to like uh, just whip the, the spin on the ball uh, like, like nobody else could. I mean, he was throwing change-ups that look like a left-handed curveball, you know, just just hard sinking and and sweeping action from from left to right, and it's just it's just an inspiration. Um, and then so uh, current Met, um, um, well, so Nimmo Brandon Nimmo, who's who's I think really quite underrated. He plays the game the way that I think it should be played. I mean, he is just sprinting his ass off the whole time smiling like a bastard enjoying himself and uh and you know really like supportive of teammates supportive of everybody uh but but thor uh you know noah Syndergaard, he's just in terms of talent and and like um me watching him it's he's i think a, a cut above the rest he's he's entertaining he's 
he's a badass and and he throws all the miles per hour <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, I i said i like thor i, th- I love his account because he always like so his look i was a big dork and he shows his pictures from like 12 years old with thick glasses and and you know it, it just chunky and it was the best yeah. way to describe it he's like yeah i was a dork kid i get yeah. so hard that's all about it <laughs> yeah and he's he's got like a a, a a sort of um social media personality and, and but for some reason and, and he is serious and he's cocky uh but he he walks the line in a way that trevor bauer does not you know bauer is as he just for some reason does it wrong and it, it it like it rubs me the wrong way whereas like when thor does it it it, it seems like uh i don't know it seems natural right. it seems it's a natural right. thing he's gonna take the piss out of myself it's okay, being himself here. yeah yeah or, or, I, it, it's kind of like a-rod where a-rod always seems forced and it never seems natural. Now you see him on TV and he's like a total geek about all this stuff there. And, and you can see his person account, like actually comes across as quite a well-spoken person who knows the game, but he never tries to do anything. It's like, oh, this is set up so you can look good in this and you just think you're so funny. Yeah, <laughs> that surprised me because I hadn't seen him as a, as a broadcaster until I think he was doing the World Series some a few years ago. And I had only knew, knew him as the guy who's trying to impress everybody. And, and I kind of, I disliked him. Uh, and especially since all the shenanigans with the Red Sox and the whatnot, um, uh, but but yeah. but he really really knows his stuff. I mean, he's he's a baseball geek, yeah. You know? And that that when he's being himself, it's like I, I like that, you know. Yeah, but it's funny because I mean, so many people say the same thing. It's like I hate the guy, but as a commentator, he really does know what he's talking about. And he does. He just absolutely loves the game, and I think I prefer him more as a commentator than I've ever did as a player. So. I love A-Rod while readily admitting that he was never an easy guy to love. <laughs> he, was, he was very, very difficult to, to love at times, but yeah, I'm an A-Rod guy. Now, I want to move on to your time in Scotland because we are burning through the hour here. Um, but before we do, as you know, Jason, I love a trivia quiz question and you brought up Pedro Martinez. Look, and I want to see if any of you two guys can get this. So as we know, in July of 1999, the last All-Star game of the 20th century, Pedro Martinez was the starter for the American League and he pitched two innings, striking out five of the first six batters that he faced. Can either of you or both of you combined to name those five batters? Boy, memory is not my my forte. <laughs> I'm going to have to I'm, put, I'm, put I'm this thinking. one entirely. I'm gonna go. I'm thinking Frank Thomas. I'm thinking Griffey. I'm thinking A. Rod. Ah, it's gonna be out that way. It's worth noting that Pedro pitched for the American League. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. That's I right. so, okay. <laughs> that, I I I stuck. Well, Griffey was probably the end at that point. Shit. It was that Fainway as well. Would have been win. So Piazza must have been in there. Surprisingly, not. I'm very surprised that he wasn't. Mo Vaughn. Mo Vaughn was playing for the Mets by then. Then he wasn't in the All Star team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was he was so good at Red Sox. Very what? Oh gosh. Oh, McGuire, McGuire would have played in St. Louis. Sosa. Yeah, yeah. Maguire, Sosa. Yeah, McGuire. Bonds. Sosa. Must nope. have been Bonds. Nope. Must have been hurt that year. We've got two of the five. We've got Sosa and McGuire. And Caminiti. That'd be a third base. No more no Gar- no Garcia Parra. <laughs> no more. No more playing for the Cubs. So I'm, I'm throwing everything I can think of. I think Garcia Parra was on the field at the time with. Uh, with oh Pedro. man. Oh. Must, uh, one of the Rockies for sure. There's always at least one Rocky in there, like Todd Helton or somebody like that. Not quite. Uh, I guess these are all Hall of Famers. Is that what it is? This this guy is a Hall of Famer. Bagwell, Bijou. Bagwell's one. Two more. I'm trying to work my way around the diamonds to figure out who. Well, just look at your baseball cards. It'll come up. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, what do I got here? (laughs) Eric Davis, uh, John Smoltz, Andres Galarraga. Where are we out here? Luke got pretty close when he said Todd Hill. One of them is a Rocky. Or was was a rocky? Larry Walker. Yeah, Larry that's Walker. it. That's Both. it. That's who I was thinking. So one more. Now the one, this last one, I was surprised by. When you consider some of the names 
um, that would have been starting all star games around that time. That's not much of a clue. <laughs> and I mean, this was five of the first six batters of the ball game that he uh, struck out. John Holyrood. Was... <laughs> Although, like, he would have been the next time, wouldn't he? I'm trying to think. All right. I'm, gonna... I'm working my way around the infield. Who am I missing? You're stumping me here. I love it when I stump Jason. I want to say it's like a third baseman or something like that. As an infielder. Oh, Ryan oh. Sandberg. Ryan nope. Sandberg. Oh. It's a Hall of Fame infielder. Huh. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do you think it'll help? Go ahead. I'll give up. I won't waste valuable time on the show going, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Do I ever go to the last one? A Hall of Fame infielder look. That beats me, man. Uh, Memory is not my game, I tell you. So the fifth of the five is Barry Larkin. Ah, oh, there we go. So there we go. Uh, that's there we late for him. That no, must right. have been his uh, last hurrah. <laughs> let's um, let's move the on last, to the eighth and ninth batter. There were, were were someone you'd never. It was Jeremy Burnett and Jay Bell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was he was a mate, wasn't he? Yeah, briefly, yeah. Burnett's and what was it, Brewers maybe before that? So Burnett's was a brewer at that time, and then yeah. uh Jay Bell was nine by nine. Uh Piazza was the seventh batter there. So yeah, oh. so what Larkin, Walker, Sosa, McGuire, William Matt Williams with the D backs, Bagwell, Piazza, Burnett's Bell with Schilling starting off at the Phillies. Interesting. There we go. So let's move on from, from that trivia question that absolutely bombed, I guess. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, it's a good one. You stumped us. That's a great question. So you came over here about four or five years ago. Uh, you joined up with the Galaxy. Um, now, at the time that you joined up, the I think both Glasgow teams were sort of middling to not great. Um, but you, you came along at the same time as a few others who I think have elevated Glasgow baseball a bit. And you certainly played a huge part in that, I think. Um, talk to me about how you became a member of the Galaxy, how you first off found the Glasgow Baseball Association, how you ended up with the Galaxy and uh, your memories of uh, your first training sessions. Because obviously, as you'll know, being in Glasgow, it's uh, it's a bit different than you would expect uh, anywhere else in the world. Hi, so um, I had, uh, well, I'll take you back a little to set the scene. So I basically played every, baseball every year growing up until uh 2001 so i was probably 20 21 years old and then i, I moved to maine to take a job and go to grad school up there and uh, central maine so there's basically it's too wet and there's not enough people to play baseball in any real sense so i took a long break it was maybe eight years uh, in between then i moved down to louisiana for some years and and took it back up down there uh, then I moved to DC and played for another couple of years uh, while I lived there and um, I was I think um, 30 five years old and uh, I knew that I was moving to, to Glasgow at this time and I was damn near certain that I was playing my last game. It was like the middle of the summer, uh, the season was ending and uh, you know we, I, we had a, a really tough game, we lost <laughs> and I was co covered in dirt in my face and shit and uh, drove my car home. It was like the sun was setting I remember and and I just like threw my cleats into the dumpster and it was like a really challenging moment. You know, I was like, this is the kind of thing that you've done for thousands and thousands of hours in your life. And you've made innumerable friends and, and had tons of experience and stories. And this was the end. Right. And, um, so then I, I actually moved to Glasgow, um, to, uh, to follow my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, so that worked out, fortunately. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to my, my coach from the DC team, the, the, D, the, the Washington Grays was the name of the team, kind of an old school name. And he said- Negro League name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Negro so League name. John should have known that from our, from our quiz in there. So we, <laughs> we interview all the artists in that. Was the Homestead Grays that played in Washington, remember? No, they were, they were called the Washington Grays when they played there. Who was the and, Homestead Grays then? That's the ones out of Pittsburgh. That's that's the, that's uh, Josh Gibson's. Home I get that, that the other way around. 
That's right. Didn't mean to interrupt the story, but yes. No, no worries. So uh, I'm playing for the, I was playing for the Washington Grays, which ironically have white uniforms, made no sense to me, but regardless, moved to Glasgow and uh, phoning up uh, the coach Brandon of the Washington Grays. And he said, dude, just Google baseball Scotland. And it it had never occurred to me to even do that. Um, And so I had, I think I moved here in October and I had been here for a couple months and it was, I think it must've been uh, November, December at the time. And so, yeah, so I did, I Googled baseball Scotland and uh, I saw the Scotland website. And I said, holy shit, there's six teams in Scotland. This is amazing. Um, and then I found a Facebook page, I think of, of uh, the GBA, the um, Glasgow Baseball Association. And uh, it got me in touch with uh, Xander at the time who since moved to London. And he said, yeah, come out, man, come to the East End and uh, come to this little tiny uh, random um, like primary school uh, gym, (laughs) which I had to take the bus to do. It was pouring rain. It took me like a fucking hour and a half to get out there. Um, And I I got there and um, he... (laughs) He, uh, you know, gathered everybody and it's this big echoey gym and, and Xander has this way of talking where he looks straight down and talks to the ground with his eyes down. And uh, he, he talked for probably 15 minutes and I had to look at John Tafe, you know, who's from Boston. I said, dude, um, can you just like translate that whole thing? I didn't understand a single word that guy said. <laughs> But I was like uh, just overwhelmed uh, to like have a, a community and a group of guys to hang out with. Like as soon as I arrived, it like made the transition so much, so much easier. Um, it was it was like uh, incredible to be able to go outside um, when that first spring uh, arrived and um, and to travel to other cities and see different parts of Scotland. You know, that was uh, I don't I don't think I ever would have gone to Aberdeen uh, if if uh, if we hadn't. Uh, played up there and ironically enough every time i've gone to aberdeen it's been like uh 25 degrees and sunny the whole game and i don't know why that is but i suspect if i go to aberdeen on saturday it'll be like that too (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm quite the opposite anytime i've played in aberdeen it's been miserable weather i don't know if it's just me it's just my personality, I think, just sucks the atmosphere out of the weather everywhere I go, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Evans says you're welcome. Cheers, <laughs> 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 Stephen. <laughs> it's always sunny in Aberdeen, says Mark Joss. Um, not when I've been there. Um, Luke, um, talk to me about your time playing with Galaxy. Obviously, you mentioned that growing up, you were naturally a second baseman. You've been used, I think, almost exclusively as a pitcher wherever you've been available to pitch. Um, did you ever did you ever miss second base? Uh, was that something that you wish you had done more of uh, while, during your time here? Or has the success of the Galaxy during the time you've been here been enough to sort of assuage that, any? Well, um, you know, when you're with a, a group of guys for um, a number of years, you, you kind of fall into a niche, you know? And um, that's definitely the case with the Galaxy. We, we basically have had the same core for the last all the whole all of the four years plus that I've been there so uh, at first it was like well I'm not sure I'd like to you know play a little play a little third and play a little second and maybe put me in the outfield and eventually it became very clear that that I was going to have to be on the mound and fortunately we have a fantastic second baseman in 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 big gym Um, so I knew that if the ball was hit to him or if ball was thrown down to second to to you know to nab a guy stealing Jim's going to be there and, and he's going to make the play. So that gave me a real good confidence that, um, you know, if, if someone's in um, like a, a position or a place in, in anywhere in life where you, um, you feel like you can do better, uh, you know, that, that might itch you. But uh, that was absolutely never the case uh, with us. I feel like, uh, you know, we all kind of settled into our roles and, and, and in large part, that's, a, that's a thanks to, to John Tafe. I mean, he has a, a uh, real natural calm to the way that he uh, organizes things. You know, he's he's on it and and organized and gives you confidence. But he he's also has a a way of just keeping everything calm and cool and uh, and that that um, you know spills over uh, on the team, and it definitely spilled over on me. And I, I appreciated that. I think early in the um, 
my plane with uh, with Glasgow, I, um, you know, just I, I, I could strike guys out. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And he was like, listen, instead of throwing 90% and striking guys out, throw 40% and try to make it through as many innings as you can and get ground balls to the pitcher and to the third baseman. And it took me about a year and a half or two years to actually implement that but <laughs> because maybe too much pride, but he was a hundred percent right. And I'm really glad that I did, but um, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, I think uh, his, his, uh, his wisdom was, uh, has been really, really important and I appreciate his guidance. It's a tough one when you know you got to throw 200 balls a game. You're like, okay, let me ground balls to that kid in the city and try to have how many pitches there. Because you know it's like, well, they ain't anyone else coming in. So you're like, I got to survive. <laughs> yeah, you said it. Just just eat up those innings. And it's, it's a balance because if you're not striking guys out, especially on our shit infield, like uh, even if you have, you know, Ozzy Smith out there, it's still going to take a lot of bad hops. And uh, so you got you got that to, to contend with. So um it's it's a hard balance <laughs> now look um during your time in the galaxy three league titles in a row a caledonia cup and i believe either one or two glasgow cups i know that that cup was discontinued for a few years um you've had a very decorated time uh playing in glasgow um you were the primary pitcher for pretty much most of that run if not all of it how did you keep motivated as the success kept coming? Was it enough just to show up and uh, and think you know another title, another title, another title? But or you know was there was there some some way that you changed your approach each year to to keep things fresh, to keep things moving, and, and keep yourself motivated to do better? Hi. Um, well, uh, until until the last year, uh, we hadn't won the cup, so we. Um... I think we won the league title and then maybe won it again, but we lost to the, to the devils in, in the cup, uh, maybe once or twice, or I forget now. Um, and, um, so, so that was a big motivation for sure. And that last year when they, when we had a proper season and they made, um, the cup into like the playoffs essentially. And that like, if you, you're the champion, if you win the playoffs and the cup, um, that that was a big motivating force for me. So then I, I basically said, um, <laughs> let's um, I'm just going to like uh, sort of not do everything I can do to not hurt myself <laughs> and and pace myself over the course of the season until we we get to this cup. And then and then I'm going to let it all out. You know, let it all hang out. And so what? Fuck it. Um, maybe I'll never play a game again. But if we win, it'll be worth it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> finally we did but it took some time to so which of the so that was a big motivator go ahead sorry yeah so which which of the accomplishments means more to you three straight titles or that one caledonia cup that you won after going through the playoffs um well uh i i think that first uh the first time that we won the um the first time we won the league, I think was, I didn't realize how important it was at the time. Cause I kind of came in and, and I didn't have all the sort of history of Glasgow basically not being very good for, for many years. Yeah. Um, John Tape was telling me this in the car actually on Sunday when we were on our way back from training. And he said, mm -hmm. you know, we were actually pretty crappy for, for quite a number of years. Neither team was very good. So mm -hmm. in, in retrospect, I think that that was probably the most, the most meaningful. But there's nothing like, uh, you know, the, the actual the winning a single game, you know, the, the league win, like you're sort of clinching and other teams are losing and then you, yeah. you kind of get in and it's not like, a, you know, it's, it doesn't happen all at once. And there, there's so there's something like special about about uh, winning that one final game, which I had never done since I was like eight years old. I hadn't like won a championship game since I was like a proper little kid. So yeah, I don't, I don't really remember that feeling very well in it, but it's pretty wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had never tasted that feeling at all until last year when we won the City Cup, and that's not even really an official trophy. But I know what you mean by that. That winning you that, set the bar that, really you know, low, John. Like, <laughs> that feeling, that feeling of winning a, a cup final situation is like no other feeling. So I know I 
absolutely agree with you on that. You said um, it, John. That was a great game too, and you guys deserved every minute of it. You came with a, a really strong team, like ready to to whip to whip us, and, and, and you did. Such a fun day, and I think I speak. I guess speak for everyone on both sides of the the aisle, um, so to speak, in Glasgow. That just to be able to get a competitive game in last year was meant so much to all of us. <laughs> it almost didn't really matter what the result of the game was. Um, it was. Uh, just such a horrible year last year and obviously now with this season we've got a, a season to look forward to at last um, which brings us obviously to the end of your journey in, in baseball Scotland you will be leaving Scotland uh, in just a couple of short weeks for greener pastures in Portugal uh, due to work commitments what are you going to miss the most about playing in Scotland? Uh, playing in Scotland <laughs> period <laughs> Uh, like I'll, I'll probably have the same ritual where I take my cleats and throw them away in dumpster because uh, I, if I'm fortunate, we'll have a couple of sort of official or unofficial derby games these next two weeks and I'll be able to at least at least play a little bit um, these next couple of weeks. But yeah, just like, uh, you know, you, you come to take for granted uh, going to the going outside every Sunday, every Thursday and hanging out with with the guys and uh and doing your thing and uh, the sort of camaraderie you build you know with with john tafe with uh with jacob wright and mm -hmm. and the things that you learn together you know you come to sort of take that for granted and and i will absolutely miss that you know no question yeah i mean you guys have been the core of such great teams for so many years it's it, it, I think for them it must almost feel like they're going to lose a family member, and I don't mean to be overly dramatic with that, but I know you can probably you can probably relate to that. It's it's like you it's almost like being in a band for several years, and then someone leaves or you break up or something along those lines. It's it's the core of a team that has been so successful together, and no doubt you guys have you've been all across the country together, Edinburgh, Aberdeen. You've been, you guys have been down to, to England a couple of times as well, and even you know further afield than that one or two so you know the, the camaraderie you built with guys especially like John Tafe who was your battery mate for the majority of that ride um, it must it must be weighing quite heavily on you to, to believe in those guys yeah it's tough on the soul man it is I'm I'm, I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna miss it um, and I my my hope is that so over these last few months um, uh, myself and 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 Jason and uh and John and Jacob, all the Jays really have been um, building up a, uh, a GoFundMe page. And uh, we work with uh, John Linton, who's a really gifted photographer. He's posted um, some of the photos um, on, a, on our various Facebook pages. And so he's gonna, he's basically help us, helping us make a sort of Ken Burns style fundraising video with his images sort of panning in and out. And so the aim is that we'd like to basically raise 10 grand and uh, that would, um, you know, take care of our bullshit infield. So you get a reasonable hop every once in a while. Um, yeah. You know, we would give some dugouts so that we could, uh, you know, have ourselves a bit sheltered when it, when it rains, not if it rains and, uh, and have like a storage container and a mower so we could mow the field more than once every month, this kind of thing. So I would, um, you know, we've been, chipping away at that pretty hard over the last uh, few months. And I would love that for, you know, to be something like a legacy where, um, you know, maybe leave with the best um, field in Scotland, but um, just after I leave, it'll be the best field in, uh, field in Scotland. <laughs> well, look, hopefully that'll be the case by the time you inevitably come back to Scotland to accept your Hall of Fame induction. <laughs> it has to be inevitable after the run you've had in Scottish baseball. Um, and I mean that without a hint of hyperbole. Um, you've been, for me, the key to, to, that, to that Glasgow Galaxy team that won three in a row. Um, your impact on the Galaxy made us better. Um, because you know, we had a, a group of rather inexperienced guys and a couple of guys who had uh, a bit more experience. Um, but I think that your presence in the galaxy and um, the way that you lifted the people around you uh, made us motivated to be better and made us try harder. So um, I think that I speak for everybody on both sides when I say thank you so much for everything you've done for Glasgow baseball. Um, you've been amazing. And uh, you're going to be missed by the comments and the galaxy alike. Uh, you've been a leader. 
you've been a great teammate for those who you've uh, played alongside and you've been an absolutely fantastic opponent to face uh, every year. So yeah, I just wanted to close up by saying that. That means a lot to me, John. Thank you so much for the kind words. I, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been really an honor to play with all you guys, and uh, I will miss it like hell. And uh, once the flights come back, uh, I'll <laughs> and the pandemic settles down, I'll do everything I can to come back and make a cameo appearance. Hopefully, under the dugout on the pristine green grass and field. <laughs> There'll be a GoFundMe page set up to fly you back every weekend so you can play some games. <laughs> I'd love that. Our dream is, uh, you know, maybe we raise four or five grand between us, and then we we somehow get a hold of a major league baseball player of Scottish descent to to take us over the top. Just imagine Jay the Bruce grounds at Tellcross Park. There we Sounds, go. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think somebody already stole Bobby Thompson field. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know anything about that. That was before my time. <laughs> Deny his own hometown, Parkhead, <laughs> of the of naming the field after him. Uh, <laughs> um, so, look uh, again. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been an absolute blast to have you. Um, we were supposed to talk about the schedule release, uh, Jason, but we'll have to wait until next week because we can do uh, next week. That's fine. We're going to play time there. But before you go, Luke, again, like we only faced you, I think, for a year. You were a great competitor. I, I had a lot Likewise. of fun playing against you. Uh, it, it was fun to see someone throwing hard after seeing everyone else throwing 60 miles per hour. So it was a bit of adjustment, but I enjoyed playing against you. But the real question is, have you Googled baseball Portugal yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the heart, man. I don't have the heart. Maybe you do it for me and fill me in. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who's joined us tonight. Um, we will be back in one hour, T minus one hour, <laughs> with an NLBMR show. We've got all the Jasons tonight. Uh, we have Jason McKinney of Hall of Fame Replicas and Jason Schwartz of Heavy J Studios is coming back on the show. He's Jason there. Um, Jason, 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 son, Jason, Jason, we are all Jason. Luke, you've been Luke Powell and you've been an absolute pleasure to play with. It's been great having you on. Thank you again. Um, we will best be back. Best to you, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, all the best, mate. Pleasure was mine, John Jason. Thanks so much.